Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Democracy Ish. My name is Wajat Lee, and my fabulous co host Danielle Moody is taking a much needed reprieve in my beloved Bay Area. She will be back next week. Fret not, folks, but I'm joined today by the mysterious, the magical, the monumental Joan Walsh. And she is worthy of my infamous nerdy movie phone uh, voice. I hope she is pleased by the introduction I'm about to give her. Joan Walsh is a celebrated national affairs correspondent for The Nation magazine and the co-producer of the Emmy-nominated documentary The Sit-In. Harry Belafonte hosts The Tonight Show. She has been on MSNBC and CNN. She lives in New York, and she is the author of the upcoming book, Corporate Bullshit, Exposing the Lies and Half-Truths that Protect Profit, Power, and Wealth in America. Joan Walsh, welcome for the first time ever to our humble podcast. The first time ever? I can't believe that. That seems wrong, but, you know, we'll make it right. I think we've, you know, it's one of those interesting things where I feel like I've talked to you uh, for years, but I realize this might be the only second time we've talked uh, in person. And it's mostly Twitter and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Yeah, the the very reliable, uh, the site of Twitter, or otherwise known as X. Yeah. Yeah, the the site that we all trust for for news leading up to one of the most monumental elections. You know, like, let's pour one out for our homies. It used to be a really great site. I mean, it used to be a site where you and I met and DM'd and, you know, found our common ground, of which we have much. And now it's such a site of horror and disinformation and you know anti-muslims anti-semitism neo-nazism it's it's great other than that it's, i love it i mean i'm yeah, still other, other than being a toys r us for white nationalists and bigots it's a wonderful place for muslims really, and jews and people of color yeah it really <laughs> is i mean let's but, bring our kids but you know you do mention something that for the for the youngins and for those who don't remember for us old heads who who joined up on twitter really like at the beginning 
it was wonderful. It allowed me as this broke writer living in the Bay Area to connect with a global audience, to get my voice out there, to to be friends with a Joan Walsh, um, and you know, to build a community. I heard the same thing to you, yeah. Yeah, no, it was kind of amazing. It did level certain things. And, you know, you just like responded to somebody because they, you thought they were really cool. And maybe they liked the Warriors or something. Like we do. And and in line with your book, which, by the way, I received yesterday. And, you know, I was expecting like one of those nerdy, wonky books. And I was really pleasantly surprised to get what looks like a, a just like a colorful coffee table book that in like a, a hundred and like 20 pages. Uh, really kind of dissects the bullshit that the 1% have sold to America, have literally helped destroy America. And that's what, you know, mentioning Twitter, I, I can only think of Musk and corporate America and the corporate bullshit of the Bay Area, how it took something that could have been so beautiful and just crushed it. Right. And they acted like they wanted to elevate stuff like that. But, you know, I'm really glad that, you, I mean, thank you for saying that because. I feel like, you know, three wonks wrote it. It's Nick Hanauer and me and Don Cohen, who's amazing. And Don had been collecting all of these really shitty, I, I, I established I could <laughs> wear before, so that's good. These really shitty, awful corporate quotes defending everything from slavery to child labor, you know, to what's going on now. And we realized that this has been going on forever. It is mm. just, uh, it's a staple. They recycle the same arguments and it's also kind of funny. So at some point, you know, we had this text full of quotes and, you know, me writing through the quotes and explaining whatever was needed. And then we were like, we really need more fun because it, it, I mean, it's not funny because it's sad, but it is funny because you have to laugh as we've learned through life. So we just started going out and looking for headlines to line up with their quotes and cartoons, and they're all there. And so, right. I mean, people get it and they are, they're a little bit afraid that, oh, I'm going to read through a long chapter about climate change, but we decided not to do it like that. We decided yeah, to do it by argument, not by issue, and to show how they use all the arguments about all the issues, and they're ridiculous. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young Black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. 
Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. I thought it was very helpful because it's very engaging. It's colorful. You have these cartoons. It's like this big font. It gets to the point. Uh, but you're talking about these heady issues that uh, are so endemic, that have so much influence in our lives, which people don't know about, but people gloss over. Like free market capitalism, boring. Milton Friedman, next. But we need to connect the dots to understand why we're in a situation right now in 2023, leading up to 2024, where the 1% has more wealth than ever before, where uh, productivity has risen, where profit has risen, but the workers who make that profit aren't getting anything and wages have flatlined, right? And people sit right. there and go, well, why is this happening? And I think what's well, really good about your book is- Under Joe Biden, and I don't I really don't mean to be like a Biden apologist because I can tell you all the things that might not be right with him. And he was like my fifth or sixth choice in 2020. But Joe Biden has governed as a progressive Democrat and right. as an FDR Democrat and, and has really done more for the working class, you know, than anybody since FDR, maybe LBJ. So, you know, it, it's a weird it's a weird time. And we are constantly fighting this many guard action that is, you know, if you look at the House speaker race, it's really lame and kind of funny. Um, yeah, I, embarrassing is trending today as of the recording. And the reason why embarrassing is trending is that's the description of the GOP's failure with the majority to elect a house. Jim Jordan, as of today, folks, got less votes than yesterday. Yesterday. I know. I, I, it's I it's laugh. funny, Joan. We could laugh. I mean, a point of personal privilege. There is an old song, I love you more today than yesterday, but not as much as tomorrow. And somebody on Twitter, and it's still good, shitter, X or whatever it is, Somebody wrote, I hate you more today than yesterday, but not as much as tomorrow about the Republicans and Jim Jordan. And I was just like, yes. And that's true. I don't know what he's going to do, but it's not. I mean, it is we've got I mean, as you and I both know, we've got to take our feelings of elation and lightness when we can get them. Of course, it's such a horrible time in general. And so this has been a bit of elation looking at him, you know, flailing. And I hope our book is a bit of elation because you just see that these people have been making the same case for so many years and it's been winning. But, you know, I think our side can win more often now. You know, I speak. Let's keep with the theme of elation because we usually <laughs> we descend usually, into grief. And yeah, we descend into grief, but I, uh, you know, I was going to work backwards. Uh, I was going to actually start uh, at the beginning and to get to here, but let's actually work backwards because you do mention something that I think it's important. We all have our critiques of the Biden presidency. Daniel and I have tried to be very honest, but I also give him credit where credits due, where he has tried uh, with the type of gridlock that he has to endure and the extremism to actually promote what were progressive economic policies that you and I know five years ago were seen as too extreme. Student loan debt, raising the wages, you know, uh, 
making rich people pay their taxes, you know, uh, dealing with uh, drug companies to lower prescription drug prices. I mean, uh, he didn't get to do it all, but, you know, not only build back better, but, you know, all, all of his intended investment in caring from family and medical leave paid to raising wages for people who care for our children and our elders. I mean, it was a social democratic project that his whole proposal didn't get there, but the, the stuff that got there was great, but the stuff that didn't get there was aspirational and, you know, not something that I've seen. I don't, you know, I'm kind of old, but in my lifetime from any president. Yeah, and and the the interest uh, the, the interesting aspect of this is that it's also grassroots because as you and I are talking, what we're witnessing, UPS workers went on strike. Uh, we're seeing big auto on strike, big auto workers on strike. We're still seeing a Writers Guild, which uh, negotiated, but SAG is still on strike. Starbucks workers on strike. So the question I have for you in relation to this book at this particular moment, Joan, what happened that allowed this groundswell, especially when it comes to labor? to say F you to the 1% that has peddled them these myths and lies that we will uh, uncover in the conversation that you covered in your book that has allowed people to just be screwed and just take it? You know, I think it's a combination of the absolute debunking of the idea that Republicans are for the working class. Mm. I mean, I don't know how that ever built up. It was never true, but it got there and then Allegedly, Donald Trump was a populist, which he wasn't. Um, the guy who lives in Mar-a-Lago and Mar -a -Lago previously at Trump and Towers, yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah, all that. <laughs> Although he's actually probably going to be a pauper after these trials, but basically, yeah, the guy who pretended to be a, a working stiff who never worked a day in his freaking life. Um, there's that, and then I also, you know, I think the pandemic. Mm. The pandemic really, really traumatized a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, it focused us more on caregivers of, of all kinds. Um, and it focused us more on essential workers, which are, you know, virtually every worker, including your Starbucks worker who you go in and you, you know, your your shitty job and you get your, you know, you get your coffee and they put a heart on it and it makes your day. I mean, I just think there's just a little bit more empathy about among the working class. Uh, and I think there's more suspicion about the way that the ruling class gaslights us. Um, I'm not sure. I'm really trying out this answer on you, so I hope mm. it works. Uh, but it feels right. I mean, some of it feels right. There's more. There's a lot more. I don't know. It's a. It's a really people smarter people than me will write you know history books about it because it really has happened. And no, I I think you're right. I think the the pandemic and Danielle and I have discussed this uh, often on our show is it it flattened all of us perhaps unequally. And it gave people pause because in America, you work two jobs just to stay broke. People just don't have time. And I think when people just got some time to reflect, they're like, I'm working my ass off. I might die. And why? Like, why am I not paid a living wage? Why am I struggling? Why am I working two jobs to stay broke while rich people are getting richer? Why did they get PPP loans? Why did I not get PPP loans? Why is my boss 
Bob Iger getting hundreds of millions of dollars and I'm a broke writer who who creates content and not getting paid. Right. Who's and not, I, not necessarily broke. I mean, a lot of them are broke, but even, you know, even those who are making most of them for sure. But even those who are making like a living wage, I mean, that's actually very few of them. But even them are like, they, they're like, you know, we we do so much. We work so hard. I mean, I think a lot of people got to the point of we do so much. We work so hard and we're not getting fairly paid. And also, you know, some people really did risk their lives and other people didn't. But they were also like, this is the only life I have. And, you know, I, I have a friend who died of COVID who was my age. And, I you know, I saw all this death and disaster. And this is bullshit, man. Yeah, corporate bullshit. Yeah, the I also think in addition, uh, the answer I think you you've given is is accurate. But I would add, and I think you'd agree, is that Republicans are so extreme now, uh, and they're not hiding anything. I mean, as you mentioned, and you mentioned in the book, this has been a lifelong project. It's been going on for forty plus years, especially with the Reagan presidency that no one talks about. The attack on labor, the attack on oh, workers. He was good. I mean, Reagan's a good president. You know, Republicans even you know I, I'm a very popular front person. I, I welcome all the ex Republicans and the, you know, never Trumpers, but I do when I get to talk to them, kind of chide them. Reagan was a racist. Sorry mm. guys. And it hurts Reagan, them. Oh, it pains them. Oh, it really hurts them. You know, they really feel like, you know, anyway, but yeah, they feel like he's one, he belongs on Mount Rushmore. And I'm like, eh, a lot of the problems that we're inheriting are from Reaganomics and Reagan's disease presidency. But it's one of those situations where at the very least, and I hate saying this, but Reagan compared to Trumpism, there was at least some humanity. There was something. There was. Uh, oh, absolutely. absolutely. He, he was global. He, he you know, pro-immigrant, uh, was diplomatic. And, you know, you're mentioning the, the cluster F that's happening with the, the House speakership. And one Republican whose name is looting me, I mean, I, I just tweeted that uh, the Democrats got an ad, openly was talking about attacking Social Security, which is why... Oh, it, was, it was Tom Cole. Tom Cole, Cole, there you go. Who is allegedly a moderate. You know, he supported Kevin McCarthy. He is allegedly a moderate. And he was like, we're going to, but we're going to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. I mean, even Reagan wouldn't do that. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's weird because we're living in a time where all of the really hateful and murderous threats against democracy and especially people of color really have to take precedence. They, they do. They are the worst. But there's also, you know, they're, they're coming for Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and things that, you know, Republicans like Reagan knew you probably have to protect. And or don't say out loud. Don't <laughs> say out loud. I mean, actually, even Trump, I have to say, it's I'm, I'm not praising him because I would never praise him. But even he was kind of like, like he gets it. Yeah, I don't know if we yeah about Social Security and Medicare. It's probably a bad idea to say that. Um, so you know, it's just really there's all this stuff up front that's horrible, and then there's also stuff behind the scenes that's also really horrible. And then well, the behind the scenes one, if you don't mind, I just we just also okay. found out today that Harlan Crow, the billionaire who collects Nazi memorabilia, uh, as one does, uh. uh is I the biggest donor to Cornell West. 
I saw that. I mean, if I were Cornell West, I would quit. I would resign from running for president. I would throw myself at the feet of anyone who would forgive me and say, please forgive me. The mm. idea that he would take that money when he was, you know, I I was in DS, the Democratic Socialists of America briefly. I am a Michael Harrington socialist. You know, our listeners can look that up. He's been dead a long time. He was a, a socialist who led socialists into the Democratic Party and said, there's no third party option. You've just got to make this a social democratic party. And that is what I think I am. And Cornell West was, you know, a Michael Harrington person who was back in the day, all, all the good things. And now he's taking money from Harlan Crow, a mm. freaking racist and also, you know, ultra conservative, anti poor people, gazillionaire. Like, what happened, bro? Like, I know he's got some tax debts, but. There are yeah. other ways to eat. There are other ways to eat. There are but other ways to eat. It's, I mean, it's the corrupting influence of money, right? It, which corrupts not just Republicans, but like you said, even folks like Cornell West who know right. better uh, and, and who've entered it. And, and the corrupting influence uh, of money and how money <laughs> is used by those who have money to protect their own assets is like a through line in your book. And one of the ways, and I think what the book does really well, it, it shows how they've spent so much money creating boogeymen. And you mentioned it, the big S word, socialism. Right. Can, can you explain to us how that has been used and is still used to attack the very same policies, Joan, that people love, like, wait for it, Social Security and Medicare? From the very beginning, Social Security, you know, once we had the Russian Revolution, we had a name for everything and it was socialism. We had other names before that, but that was like, oh, great. You gave us you gave us a label. Social Security was socialism. Everything about the New Deal was socialism. Um, FDR was, of course, a socialist, but so was Harry Truman, who was, you know, relatively conservative. And it just goes through. Even people like Bill Clinton, who did try to, in bad ways, I would argue, course correct and make the Democrats more of a party of the markets, the markets mm. can help us, less government. He's a socialist. Barack Obama, who was also, you know, not a socialist and not as left as many leftists thought, he's a socialist. And then I kind of love, you know, we we close on. Joe Biden, you know, and all these people saying Joe Biden's a socialist and Joe Biden being Joe Biden gets the best laugh. He's like, I'm not a socialist. I beat the socialist Bernie Sanders. You mm. know, that makes me not a socialist, but it's just like anything. And also we, we quote Harry Truman for all his flaws has this great quote. That's like, they said it about social security. They said it about, you know, fair wages. They've said it about anything that helps the average person. It's socialism. And we know that that's garbage. And But we don't entirely know it. I feel like we are kind of getting to know that now. Do you, do you feel that way? I mean, see, I, do, see, I don't because here, it was really interesting what, you know, in, in the book where you're like Truman, who, like you said, not the most progressive or liberal, stands his ground and pushes back. And exactly what Truman said is what I'd expect. 
other Democrats to say, but the only ones that I see saying it are the Democratic Socialists, the squad. And then the squad is thrown under the bus by other quote unquote moderate Democrats. And then you fast forward and many of the policies that they're advocating, lo and behold, Joan, are very popular. People are like, yeah, we should tax the rich. Hey, increase the wages. Let's invest in climate change. I feel like, and you might disagree with me, this is a failure of the Democratic Party, unlike Republicans who really own, like, be bold, own your policies, own the world, you even own the word liberal, forget socialist, like just own it, right. flex with it, but they don't. That's my I take. Guess I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I think they do own the word liberal more than they used to, because I'm older than you. So okay, I, more I than they used that. to, I'll give you that. You know, more than they used to. I, I do think that Biden has, you know, he, he's in, he's embraced the policies and he did have that one good line that we use, which is like, I beat the socialist, which maybe sounds anti-socialist when I say it back to you. But still, it's just like, you know, this is bullshit, you guys. Stop. Stop this nonsense. And I and I appreciate Biden for that. Um, do are are they front and center with how their policies that most of them do support really create a, you know, they won't say socialist, it's not, but, you know, a social democratic safety net that we're trying to get to this other kind of society? Probably not. I think that they Mm. all, except for the squad and some other people, except that we're going to do it incrementally. I mean, even Bernie Sanders, I don't know why he called himself a socialist. He was back in the day, but He's a social democrat. You know, they're all doing it incrementally and they're all doing it as it really applies to human needs and people who are suffering. And, you know, I think it's working, but I, I think you're on some level, you're right that they're not pushing back against the demonization of this kind of stuff. And we really saw it, man. We saw it with the, the pushback to the child tax credit. There you which, go. You know, brought down, it, it reduced child poverty by half. I mean, I know we're allowed to swear, but are we allowed to cry? Because I could almost You can cry. cry. People have cried before. And it jumped up to 12.7%. I record mean, number. How, how do we live with ourselves? And I went back. I mean, I, I've written, I've, I've got a piece coming out about this. And it's like, it's just because the same, first of all, the child tax credit was a Reagan era Republican thing. It was the antithesis of welfare. We don't want to give these lazy ass moms money mm. to stay home and also kick out the dads who are whatever. Um, but a child tax credit rewards work and it, you know, is kind of agnostic about the family, whatever composition and they had people from the heritage foundation a complete corporate bullshit nest of vipers come out and say i mean the wall street journal had this uh op-ed i proposed the child tax credit and now i think it's you know a terrible Mm -hmm. satanist idea and it's because and they all do the same thing and this is a chapter in our book you'll only make it worse They go to, oh, we want to help too. But if you try to help these poor people, that's mainly what it's about. You'll only make it worse. You'll only make them, you know, just lie around in indolence and neglect their kids while you give them money. 
And that's what they did with the child tax credit. And it was mainly Republicans who killed it. And they killed it with these arguments. Even people who used to support it were like, oh, the Democrats went too far. And they had absolute bullshit arguments that relied on, they would, you know, the Wall Street Journal, I just have to say this, it's really boring, but linked to a study that linked to a study that showed that maybe it might reduce women, uh, mothers' uh, labor force participation down the road. Nothing that showed that it did, but therefore it's bad for kids because their moms are going to stay home on their lazy asses and get paid. Watch soaps. And watch soaps. Like, wouldn't I do that if I could? You know, but it's just like they used to support it. Now they oppose it because it will only make things worse. And then at the end of the day, it gets to Joe Manchin, who's not only like. I'm glad you went there. Yes. Yeah, because it is. We've got some Democrats. I'm not going to lie. I don't like both siderism, but I'm not going to lie. We've got some Democrats. And Joe Manchin was like, you know, they might be using that money in West Virginia. He literally talked about his own constituents. One of the poorest in the nation. They, the poorest in the nation, they, they are, they might, I, I, I really should check my notes because I want to be fair. Let's just say they might be, but he might've said they are using that money to buy drugs. And also they're not, you know, they're not working as much as they used to. And, uh, you know, it's just the ultimate in the way they have turned I really think we talked about Reagan. I think the worst thing Reagan said, it's really hard, but when he said the federal government fought a war on poverty and poverty won, that was the worst. It was so Mm. horrible because it Mm. gave people an excuse. People who thought they were decent people, and maybe they are decent, were are decent people, to be like, yeah, I don't really like that welfare, but I don't want to be racist. So I'm going to oppose it because. It hurt the poor. Oh, my God. Welfare hurt the poor. It was totally untrue. It didn't. But it's led to a whole line of arguments that are kind of pro-social arguments that disguise really, really antisocial goals. And they've gotten really good at it. And so we debunked that. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
It's a great example of how people vote against their own interests, but people are fed certain myths and narratives uh, that are so popular. And the hypocrisy and the bullshit of it all is that the people who peddle it are the 1% and the multimillionaires who get the PPP loans, who get bailed out and literally got money from the government, socialism, to thrive and survive. Socialism. And so the question I have is, what can be, Joan, the tipping point where we, because it's getting worse, the 1% are batting down the hatches, they're sandbagging, they realize, you know, the, the peasants, the pro proletariat are rising, we have to crush them, right? We have to crush the woke army, and we have to crush these workers. Uh, what, how can workers protect themselves from a new batch of bullshit that will be manufactured, and I would say laundered, through corporate media both sides? Uh, well, obviously buy our book or, you know. I mean, of course, first step, buy the book. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's really hard it, it, because I feel like we don't have as many collective institutions now, whether it's churches or synagogues or mosques or, you know, unions are rising and that's fantastic. And unions are not just like they represent you at work and you might get a fair, a more fair wage. You will hopefully get a better wage. But they also were historically this gathering place for people to talk about their issues and talk about what was going on. And we don't have enough of that for working class and, and middle class people. I mean, middle class people aren't doing that great either. Um I don't know. I, I would like to have an answer. And I, obviously buying our book is not exactly the answer. It might help. But I, I do think that for all of the reasons we've talked about, there's more awareness of mm. people being screwed by the way this economy works. Um, and I don't think that we on the left have caught up with the need to develop social institutions or, you know, I mean, there's nope. always a debate, um, you know, oh, the Democratic Party, they put a bunch of money into the last month or maybe two months of an election, but they don't put organizers on the ground in, in those, whether they're battleground states or even red states, like that we need to figure out how to seed some kind of social infrastructure where people can talk to one another and compare notes and, you know, also go for help. I mean, the Koch brothers did set up, I don't think it really worked that well, but they did actually try to set up a bunch of things for students and Latinos where, you know, you get like help with your taxes. I don't know. I hate my taxes. It really sucks. But, you know, the, I feel like the right has thought more about social capital and social infrastructure than a lot of people on the left have. They have created think tanks. They have invested in grassroots groups like Moms for Liberty that have, right. I hate to say it, been very successful. They have their own media empire Absolutely. where they create and promote many of these myths that, and bullshit that you mention in your book, uh, Conspiracy Theories that Now Radicalize Terrorists. And I always tell folks, and you're right, we have the majority. We have the numbers, and why should we keep bending the knee to an increasingly radicalized, weaponized minority that is willing to pretty much kill us or send us back to the 19th century? You know, I feel like you need the organization, and but you said something that I think that could lead to it, which people kind of poo-poo, if you will, where 
awareness is key because awareness can also lead to empathy. And this is where, Joan, with my final question, for those who are listening right now, and, and I've heard this from people who mean well, well, why should I care about Hollywood writers? Why should I care about the barista? Why should I care about the auto workers? Eh, you know, how, how am I connected to this? The, the pitch that you could make to someone who might be on the fence and be like, well, I'm doing okay. Um, I work for corporations. I get six figures. What's the pitch to them to care and to be aware and fight back? I mean, these people are in your community. I mean, they're serving you your coffee. They're fixing your cars. Um, also, I mean, look, I am such a lapsed Catholic, but you know, I, I do feel like our religious traditions really help out in these times in the sense of we were put here to care for each other. Mm. And there are so many people with either, I mean, you know, the right wing Christians, forget about them. But there are lots of other people who have kind of lapsed consciences and need to be remembered that that's kind of why we're here. Um, and also our economy, you know, I mean, we, uh, Nick Hanauer, who is my co-author on the book, who is a wonderful person, a wonderful billionaire, um, but you one know, of the good he's, ones. All, he's one of the good ones. Absolutely. One of the great ones. And he's all about the middle out economy that we all do better when we all do better. And we all do better when your barista or your car mechanic or whomever, you know, the, the lady who takes care of your dying dad has more money in her pocket and is marginally happier, marginally less freaked out about life. You know, psychologically, you don't want anybody taking care of your, you know, elder parent who's depressed. Uh, but also for the economy, everybody with more money in their pockets, they spend more and they, they lift the economy, even for rich guys. Um, and so I think those are some of the arguments, but I, I, you know, it's a tough time and we just don't see enough empathy, but I kind of feel I, you know, I am, as I've said, a lapsed Catholic, but I think being raised Catholic kind of helped because it was just about, I mean, the golden rule is not you do unto others. And also we're put here to help each other. And so you know, help the lady up the subway, which I did yesterday with the baby in the stroller and, and pay more taxes. If you're to uh, be more aware, to be more empathetic, to help people to help your community to make sure everyone has got something. You either sound like Jesus or a flaming leftist socialist, Joan oh, Walsh. Jesus, I don't know which. <laughs> but we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your reporting. Thanks so much for coming on. And the book is called Corporate Bullshit, Exposing the Lies and Half-Truths that Protect Profit, Power, and Wealth in America. It is co-authored by Joan Walsh, Nick Hanauer, a good billionaire, and Donald Cohen. It is fast-paced, it is funny, it is pithy, and it really exposes all the bullshit that we are inheriting and we have dealt with and hopefully that we will discard, but in a very entertaining and funny way. Joan, thanks so much. Thank you. Great to be with you. And on behalf of Danielle, who is in here, this has been another episode of Democracy-ish. And we will join you next week, if indeed we still have a democracy left. Inshallah.